Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon, and this episode, we're going to have two guests from Egypt. Both of them work for HighEndJourneys.com. They're both Egyptologists. The first one is Ramez Salama. The second one is his partner, Ahmed Aziz. Ramez, we talked to very briefly, and then we get into an hour-long discussion with Ahmed Aziz, who took me all over Egypt. They're both fascinating. We talk about all sorts of issues. One of the things I like to explore is how did Egyptians go in just a span of 300 years, go from their ancient pagan religions, then into Coptic Christianity, and then they abandoned it all to adopt Islam, all in the course of 300 years. Is there another religion coming down the pike that the Egyptians will adopt after this? How many children did the last generation have versus this generation? Do people use contraception? Is it available for free? Is there sex before marriage? Do people have sex during their engagement? What about virginity? Is it something that is prized and valued very highly, or is it something that's being forgotten? Was it the same thing back in ancient Egypt? By the way, was homosexuality was a big deal in ancient Egypt or not? Has education suffered since the Arab Spring of 2011? Has women's rights improved? And finally, what is the future of Egypt? These and many topics are the things that we explore in this hour-long episode all about Egypt with high-end journeys. Enjoy it. Sounds like we're in an echo chamber, but actually we're sitting in an Egyptian tomb. Tomb. We are actually sitting in a tomb that is 4,300 years old. My name is uh, Ramez Salama. I'm Egyptologist. I work with High End Journeys. Uh, we are based here in Cairo, Egypt. And uh, we do tours, by the way, all around Cairo. So where we are right now, uh, we are in an off-beaten track, less visited tomb by the tourists. It's called uh, the tomb of Petah Hotep. He's one of the dignitaries of ancient Egypt, and he's basically uh, buried here with his own son. So it's a family burial. So we have a tomb here to the left-hand side here that belongs to the father, and actually the son is buried next to him. You know, the ancient Egyptians believed that the sun dries every single day in the morning and it sets. The Nile floods every single year. The following year, the Nile would come again. So a man in ancient Egypt have said, if the Nile flush every year, if the sun dries every day, my life would be like a sun. My life would be like a Nile. And that's the main source why the ancient Egyptians have been paranoid about the life eternal. Because the natural phenomenon that surrounded them. So that's why all your life you'd be investing in tombs and temples. So all your life, I mean, like if you have a good status in your daily life, I mean, like as a dignitary, you want to capture the moment that you had to happen again in the life eternal. So these carvings that I'm going to show you right now, these are not decorative carvings. These are carvings for the sake of the life eternal. In the darkness of the night of the tomb, the spirit will come out from the coffin, wander and roam around at night, reading all the hieroglyphics, turning every single thing to reality. So the carvings I'm going to show you right now, these are carvings to walk at nighttime. And to give you a sense about how deserted this is, we are pretty much all alone here. There's not even a guard. And we're amongst this, in this temple, truly an unseen part of Egypt. So right now, where are we? We are in Dashur. This is one of the least visited pyramids of Egypt. It's off beaten track. 
and nobody used to come here till like an, exactly 1997. In 1997, uh, the Prime Minister decided to open the space for the public because there was a dispute between the Ministry of Antiquities and the Ministry of Defense and the Ministry of Petroleum because we have a pyramid here, we have gas um, uh, mining and we have a military uh, base. So uh, that's why uh, in 1997, they have agreed that the tourists could come to this archaeological uh, site. Uh, it's a bit far away from uh, Cairo, and it's not famous, but yet it's amazing because there's no vendors, uh, no uh, locals around you. You basically, it's too far that anybody comes here. So that's why you see the pyramids as the way how they have looked like thousands of years uh, ago. But it's we, not it's, it's not as far as, let's say, Luxor and Aswan. Oh, no, so far. So, so you're still in Cairo, yeah. but you get About to one drive, hour? Or? Uh, like an hour drive away from downtown. Yeah. Look here, uh, far left here, that's a pyramid. It looks bent. It's a mistake that they built. Uh, as they were building, they've realized, hey, that's a wrong angle. Let's construct another pyramid with a right angle. That's why they, this is the only one king that have had two pyramids of his own, like one called the Red Pyramid and another one called the Bent Pyramid. And there's another pyramid called the Black Pyramid. You know, in Egypt, we have 115 pyramids. All the pyramids are named after something, either a color or a size, like the Great Pyramid of Giza because of the size. Second and third Pyramid of Giza because that's the second and third. That's the Red Pyramid because it looks like a, a red, it's covered with a red limestone uh, uh, building. Can you guys see that? Yeah. In the uh, bent pyramid, because it's a bent out there. The black pyramid, and it's truly black in color, further at the back. Can you guys see that? Yeah. So we're gonna start by the bent pyramid, then we go to the red pyramid, and you have a chance to enter. So if you like to go inside, that would be amazing. Okay. It's really harder than the great pyramid. Have you been to inside the great pyramid? Uh, only the queens. Oh, no, no, that's way harder. That's really nice. Yeah. So that is a good workout for the day, and then uh, after that, you can go back to the hotel and relax. Right. What do you think about these stories that they found some hidden uh, oh, pockets and voids? Things intact there. No, no, but but that the, there was a report in 2017 about them finding an open space of void in the Great Pyramid or something. Oh yeah, that's like last week, last month. Okay. Well, if they discovered treasures inside, that would be amazing. It would return back to tourism, tourism back again. This is a chamber that nobody entered in 4,500 years. Nobody knew about it. Even the robbers didn't know about it. So if we are able to go inside and discover things in there, that would be amazing. That would turn tourism straight out tomorrow. But do you think that there really is a chamber there? I think there is. The, this is with the neutrinos, right? That they were bombarding something with neutrinos to find out the empty space? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not bombarding it, but in other words, collecting the data. And so you think that there is an empty space? Or no, you I think there is an empty space. Not empty. I think there will be something there. We're in Cairo. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, Francis. Uh, my name is Ahmed Aziz. Uh, I am an Egyptologist and uh, the founder of High End Journeys. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be with you today. 
Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what we're going to go see today and what's worth seeing and the unseen sides of uh, Cairo. Today, yeah, we uh, are going to take you off the beaten track. Uh, we uh, will start our day by visiting uh, Coptic Cairo. This is where we're going to see some of the oldest churches in the Middle East. And uh, we're going to know why we call the Christians of Egypt uh, by Coptics, uh, who are the Coptics, uh, how they settled here in Egypt. And uh, uh, we're going to see pretty beautiful uh, churches over there. They go back to the 4th century. Uh, one of them is called the Hanging Church. Great. And then later? And later on, uh, we're going to go and visit also one of the oldest mosques. It's called the Mosque of Ibn Tulun. Uh, it dates back to the 9th century. And it's a, a beautiful, a unique uh, structure uh, with a beautiful minaret uh, that we could actually climb it. One of the very few minarets that we could get access to it and go all the way to the top and have a panoramic, amazing view of uh, Islamic Cairo. Excellent. And that's how we'll end the day at the... And then we're going to end our day uh, at uh, the local market, uh, which we call it Khan Khalili. We're going to take you through the hidden alleys uh, of uh, Islamic Cairo. Uh, that's where we go through uh, one of the oldest uh, streets as well. It's called Al-Mu'izz Street. We see all the sabils, uh, schools, or as they are, call it, uh, madrasas. And uh, we end our tour in the heart of of uh, Kanakalili and uh, probably will be hungry uh, at that time over there. So we're gonna take you to one of the very nice authentic restaurants over there. We are now at St. Sergius Church, uh, which is built on top of a holy crypt. A holy crypt where uh, the holy family stayed for two weeks, hiding and uh, protecting uh, from the Roman persecution. Uh, this uh, church goes back to the fourth uh, century. It's uh, one of the oldest churches we have over here. The pillars that we see around us here, those are marble pillars um, taken or uh, quoted from Rome during the Roman Empire as this proof that this temple one day was uh, a Roman temple, dates back to the second century before Christ and then later on converted into a Coptic church. So we go and we sit over here and we talk more about who are the Coptic Christians of Egypt. Tell us about the Coptics and how they got their name and where they come from. And So uh, actually the word Coptic uh, is derived from the ancient Egyptian word Qubit. And the word Qubit uh, means Egyptian. So all the Egyptians were basically called Qubit according to their language until the Arabs came and uh, conquered Egypt. And that was in the seventh century. When the Arabs came to Egypt, uh, the whole empire or most of the empire converted into an Arab Muslim uh, country, except very few people who stayed on Christianity. So the Arabs started to use the term Qubit, which became in English later on Coptic to refer to the Christians of Egypt. So only by the 7th century, when we mention the name or the word Coptic, we, we uh, here refer to the Christians of Egypt. The Christians of Egypt nowadays represent 15%, one-five of the total population of the country. So 85% Egyptian, uh, sorry, uh, Muslims, 15% uh, they are Coptic Christians. And guess how many Jews we have over here? 200. Less than 200. <laughs> Seven. Seven, okay. Seven only. Seven okay. people. Yes, you heard that right. <laughs> um, and, and they know each other? They're friends with each uh, other? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably they live they together. Have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, but before, uh, Egypt had uh, tens of thousands of Jews. Before that, yes. And then uh, they became, I mean, the Jewish community... Uh, what, 80,000 Jews maybe? Or uh, around even more than 85,000 Jews okay. one day. And then the Jewish community started to decrease uh, decrease and diminish, especially Israel, in, the ni- in the 1940s, yeah. exactly, in the 1950s, due to the when Israel was founded. Right. And uh, uh, most, of the pe- most of the Jews were encouraged to go to Israel or leave out of Egypt, especially uh, when they felt threatened due to the political situation situation between Egypt and Israel at that time. Is there a, isn't there a, a Jewish a monastery or not monastery? A, a synagogue. Sy- synagogue. Yes, synagogue. and that's, that's what we're going to visit next. Okay, good. Yeah. Now, before we do that, though, can you tell me a little bit about, I know you're not a Coptic yourself, so you're probably hazy on the, the, <laughs> the doctrinal differences, but give like your, your best understanding of, of what are some of the, sure. the key differences? So basically, you know, Christianity started in the whole world uh, by the same uh, person, Jesus Christ, and uh, and Saint Mark and different uh, and his disciples. They all spreaded the message all over the world, um, and the conflict came uh, between all the sects about the nature of Jesus Christ, whether Jesus Christ was a human who became divine later on. Or Jesus Christ was born as divine and he arose after he sacrificed to uh, humanity so actually um, that is the basic uh, conflict among uh, many sects over here including of course the Coptic Orthodox sect so basically another way of saying it is that the, the Coptic people believe that Jesus was divine from the beginning and to the end or until now absolutely yeah. versus the the re- other Christians at the Council of Nicaea said, no, 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 he wasn't divine from birth. He became divine after his death. Absolutely. And that also brings the subject of who is Virgin Mary? Was she divine or she was the mother of God and divine? So also that's part of the conflict uh, mm-hmm. over here. But of course, the details are much more uh, but they, than that. But they, uh, their holy days on Sunday as well? Sunday. Okay. Sundays uh, in a country like Egypt over here when uh, where Muslims are the majority so uh, they have uh, the Sunday service earlier uh, than usual they usually have the service at uh, 7 o'clock uh, till 9 o'clock and then they go to work because Sunday over here is a working day is the first working day so uh, our weekends over here is Friday and Saturday and Sunday is the first working day of the week and I've read that Coptics are relatively wealthy compared to other. I've heard this thing. I don't know if that's a myth um, or if there's some truth to that. Actually, to a lot of people, Egyptian. they say that. I mean... I Is mean, it kind of like saying, like in America, a lot of times people say the Jews are very rich. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. I guess it's, um, it's about being a minority. It's more about feeling more secured. Okay, but, you know, blacks in America are a minority, but they're not rich. Just because you're a minority doesn't make you good rich. Good point. A very good point. So, yeah, but Jews and Christians are. Uh, in, Christian, in Christianity over here, I would say um, uh, being a part of a Muslim country, representing 15% of the population, Population. Yeah, of course, less number of churches than mosques, at least compared to the number of mosques over here. So the Christians are able to uh, gather themselves around one community, about uh, around uh, one uh, structure, which is their church. So in each neighborhood, in each family, you found that church where the Christians go to, and they support each other. So whenever they have uh, any one of them uh, is uh, having a downside in his business or in his life, you can find a huge and tremendous support from uh, the rest of the 
church members and that's I guess uh, brings the equality among people or among the Christian community over here so yes the myth of saying no Christian is uh, poor over here uh, basically because of the support that uh, they uh, give it to each other uh, the help so you uh, whether say- financially or emotionally okay so basically there is a, a support network uh, on many levels not just economic but not only okay, economic right. exactly yeah uh, but they look after each other they help each other out and as a result maybe they they do better off economically than the average Egyptian so there is some truth to that there is some okay. truth big truth what about can you just look at somebody on the street and say haha this guy's Coptic not really but um, I mean unless they're sporting some beard or wearing a big I know cross it, ex- exactly that, I mean, unless they have like a you know a Christian or a Muslim feature then they would know but, but, uh, but also one of the features? things Hold on, what are those features like I see Coptics wearing beards but of course Muslims wear beards too uh, okay so the color of the skin would be a little bit darker uh, it's the not Coptics? really um, the Coptics I would talk about like um, uh, light brown uh, yeah. skin uh, high cheekbones uh, mm, slightly uh, flat nose Okay. curly hair black eyes those are the traditional uh, Coptic features okay. and actually those are the traditional Egyptian features because Coptics are the origin of this country over here although they are 15% of the population now but they are the original people of the country here mm-hmm. and Muslims or Islam or the Arabs came to Egypt on the 7th century right. yes I'm a Muslim but that's uh, a fact that we have to state um, so you're an invader I'm an invader <laughs> However, actually, I'm a pure invader because (laughs) my great-grandmother was uh, Turkish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have a Turkish origin. So that brings me even to the Ottoman I'm Empire. In, I'm, I'm invading from America right now. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> and we're both invading a church, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the worst questions that you could ask anyone over here is, uh, are you Muslim or Christian? You know, the answer, though, what, uh, the answer that you can get is, um, does it matter to you? Does it make a difference? So uh, it's one of the worst questions because, I mean, uh, my religion should not matter much to you uh, or matter much how you're going to treat me after that. So this is really uh, proof how there is a great harmony uh, between uh, Muslims and Christians. And the proof is that my best friend uh, is Christian. You know, uh, we uh, in uh, High Engineers uh, compose of uh, two partners. Ramez. Ramez, uh, who is um, an Anglican uh, Christian, and I'm a Sunni Muslim. Oh, he's not Coptic. No, he's not. Okay, okay. Actually, he's a Coptic Anglican. Oh, how complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so any Christian in Egypt, he is Coptic. And you are a Muslim Jewish person. A, a Muslim Jewish. <laughs> Muslim Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so it is It is actually pretty, um, pretty much uh, blended over here. So you wouldn't find Christians living in a certain neighborhood uh, or Muslims uh, live in a certain neighborhood. Although in the last few years, I would say, especially after the, you know, the... Uh, I mean, Arab Spring. Uh, yeah, the Arab Spring, as many people call it. And, uh, <laughs> the Arab Winter. Yeah, the Arab Winter. <laughs> <laughs> or Autumn, whatever we want to call it. Uh, that's actually, um, there were lots of uh, creative problems uh, between uh, both uh, religions, between Muslims and Christians. I always say it was uh, meant to be creative problems to shake the stability of the state and the country. Okay. Uh, uh, famous, uh, or one of the famous pilgrimage places for the Christian is that 
the Holy Family traveled all the way from the Promised Land to Egypt and then back. And during this journey, they stopped by many spots on the way and they camped in different spots. So those spots became very holy and sacred later on for the Christians and the whole world. So they started to build around them churches, monasteries, uh, etc. So this is the uh, crypt uh, where the Holy Family stayed. Then they built over it uh, a church. But before building that church on the fourth set in the fourth century, the crypt itself was converted into a basilica or a church back then uh, in the first and the second century. So that's the remaining of the restored church. Was it underground at the time of Jesus? Yes. Okay. So yes. were people it was like under the ground? Yeah, they were hiding. They were hiding. And uh, I will show you. So that's the original uh, ground over there. That's where Jesus Christ, they say, uh, stepped on. And let me share with you a very interesting story, by the way. Uh, uh, one day, uh, I had, when I started my career, I had a priest from the U.S. And I wanted to impress him. It was, it was pretty challenging, a Muslim taking a priest from the U.S. And he's pretty religious, coming with all the costume and everything, you know. Uh, taking him to the Coptic Church. So I wanted, I wanted to impress him. So I told him, you know what? I'm going to take you now to one of the most important places in the whole world. It's the place where, Holy where, where the Jesus Christ stayed for two weeks, stabbed and touched all the walls over there. You know what he said? Can you prove it? I kept looking at all the references that I studied. I couldn't find one proof. He said, yes, see, that's what religion means. It's submission. We don't have any proofs, but you have to believe in it. Who told you that Jesus Christ was here? It's people who have been telling each other year after the other, century after the other, until nowadays. But nobody can prove that. It's it's probably similar to some extent with the the Muhammad's dome of the rock. Exactly. With Actually, it's it's all about religion. Yeah. I mean, can we really believe that there was someone who did, took this journey uh, from uh, to heaven and back to earth like Muhammad, or or uh, the uh, or splitting the Red Sea, or returning the sight to the blind, or or or, or all Raising these miracles? The yeah. <laughs> Rising the dead? Can anybody believe that? Absolutely not. But if you are a good, faithful, religious sure. person, you should. This brings up a, a really good point. Um, I'll get to it in a second. Yeah. So, in some ways, Egyptians have proven to be one of the most flexible faith people around. In around 300 years, approximately, they went from being hardcore uh, paganists who believed in all the ancient Egyptian gods to becoming Christian and then ending up as Muslims in, in a span of roughly 300 years, maybe 400 if you want to stretch it. Yeah, yeah. And so they went to, to, through three different religions as a group, yeah. as a society. And so my question is, is when is the next change coming? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> you guys um, are pretty flexible. <laughs> yeah. And it, it seems that we're pretty flexible more about religions than politics. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, when is the next change? I don't know when is the next version of religion coming. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, you never know. Maybe the, you heard that the Egyptians becoming Scientologists one day or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and Tom Cruise would be our prophet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what's, your, what's your prediction? And what do you think is the lifespan of our current religions that dominate today? No, I guess it's going to stay as, the, uh, as we are another. for quite, yeah, for another... 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 10,000 years? I guess... Yeah, another, oh, I, another, another, until... Uh, As an Egyptologist, how long did the ancient Egyptians... Uh, 
<laughs> now, how long did their religions last for? About four thousand years. Four thousand years. Yeah, four thousand years. So, so do you th- let, do you let's give yeah, let's talk with the minimum over here and give it uh, one thousand years. You're going to give it at least a thousand. At years. least a thousand years. Another th- uh, wait. Yeah, you're talking to stay about- as it is. Okay, so Christianity, Islam, and, and yeah. all these religions will stay another thousand years at least, and they've already have over about two thousand years in their pocket. And by the way. That's a tricky question over here because it depends who you're asking this question. If you're asking me as an Egyptologist, historian, then yeah, let's talk with numbers, thousand to thousand, uh, agree or disagree. But if you're asking a religious person who believes in Judaism or Christianity or Islam, he would tell you it will stay that like that forever until the end of the world. Of course they will. Right. So but it I'm asking you as asking. a looking at this as an alien would let's say you're coming from uh, yeah, Mars and yeah. Mars okay so it's it's good to make up a number right now 1500 years <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see you in 1500 years we'll have another see, yeah, you never know. <laughs> so uh, we have just arrived to Ben Ezra synagogue uh, which I thought we were in an echo chamber <laughs> echo chamber <laughs> sounds like it though <laughs> yeah no actually um, it's um, a synagogue one of the very few oldest uh, synagogues that we have and still intact after now you know we only have seven Jews as we yes as we previously uh, uh, mentioned before and um, we can see right in front of us over here the harem section that means the woman section that's it's where on the, the second floor it's on the second floor that's where a woman maybe would be praying because uh, during I mean in the Jewish religion uh, men uh, men and and uh, women they cannot mix up together during the prayers which, which is, is similar. similar to Islam right. and I always uh, see and think that uh, there's a huge similarities between Islam and uh, uh, Judaism uh, more so than Christianity more though than Christianity actually uh, and nowadays you can see you know the tremendous uh, gap between both religions between the Muslims and the Christians but actually it's not about religions more than it's about nations uh, as I believe uh, but both religions are pretty much the same so would you say that Islam is more similar to Judaism than Judaism is similar to Christianity in other words of the three religions look the three religions we call them the religions of the book because they all believe in the same God and the same messenger and the fact that no people know it I mean few people uh, know it is that to be to be a Muslim you have to believe in Judaism you have to believe in Christianity and you have to believe that Islam is the last religion sent by God to his people his last message sent to his people sort of in other words in the sense that you don't have you have to believe in some of the basic principles of Judaism and some of the basic principles of Christianity. Which are the same. Yes, but, but I don't know, it depends on how you define the basic principles because for Christians, a basic principle is that Jesus is the Son of God. For them, that's a basic <laughs> Absolutely principle. Absolutely true. And one of the basic principles of Judaism is that the Messiah has yet to come. Yes, <laughs> which also Muslims believe that. Fair enough. Exactly. Fair enough. But yeah. then, but, so there's some truth to that, that there's a lot of commonality. Um, but obviously, there's enough differences that are that are keeping them apart. That's why they're still. That's absolutely. Apart. And and as I said, it's not we, about. We can focus our energy on looking at the differences. We can focus our energy on looking at the similarities. I totally agree with that. And unfortunately, nowadays people are focusing on the differences more than similarities and how we all belong to same nation, same religion, same God, uh, same belief. And even if we not, I mean, there's nothing that really makes us enemies. Right, and frankly, even, uh, I mean, I, I go one step further and say, okay, even if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu... doesn't or, matter. <laughs> Why would this affect me, you know? And, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, the problem is that everyone in this world now is trying to fight in a certain country, uh, claiming that he's representing that religion. And unfortunately, they are the people who are ruining the image of that religion. 
Give me an example of some of the similarities between Islam and Judaism. <laughs> One of the things that always comes to my mind is uh, <laughs> that the uh, Muslim uh, circumcise their uh, males uh, at the time of, uh, when they uh, get born. So uh, that's one of the things that Do always pop in my mind. At the same time? There's actually no really uh, specific time that you should do it, but uh, uh, nowadays we usually do it at the time, I mean, just immediately after the baby is born, mm -hmm. you take him uh, from the birth room all the way to circumcise him uh, straight okay. ahead. Okay. And what about, and also, they, their holy day is on Friday. The Friday, actually, so. Friday and Saturday. <laughs> yeah, Friday. so for the Muslim, it's Friday. Mm -hmm. For the Christians, uh, sorry, for the Jews, it's uh, the Shabbat or the Saturday. Mm -hmm. And for the Christians, but, but, it's but Sunday. The, but uh, for the Jews... Friday night. Exactly. Exactly. Friday night. For the Muslims, it's Friday noontime. That's when the Muslims go and pray the congregational prayer, which takes uh, place uh, so on Friday at noon. So you guys are just a few hours apart. A few hours, exactly. <laughs> just after sunset. <laughs> and then the women and the men pray separately. Pray in the separately, yeah. Right? Uh, they don't eat pork, neither of them? The, neither of them, they eat pork. Right. Uh, Muslims are not allowed to drink alcohol. Right. Uh, but, but, but Jews can't. Jews get I think there are uh, some sex some yeah some sex orthodox Jews that cannot drink alcohol as well okay. yeah but uh, yeah it's some sex they do that it's same in Christianity but there are some sex in Christianity that they do not drink alcohol at all uh -huh. yeah and some are, are even vegetarian actually uh, yeah some absolutely exactly um, any other similarities that you would say? Uh, obviously, they, they both believe in the Abrahamic. Uh, of uh, course, and, and yeah, and uh, yeah, and Moses. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all the all the I mean the the biblical stories. Uh, when I went to the top of, uh, of Mount Sinai, you can see there there's a mosque and a church. A mosque and a church. You know, uh, Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, exactly. Mosque and a church side by side. Uh, also, uh, Prophet Muhammad claimed protection to the. Uh, to the monastery of St. Catherine uh, when it was threatened by the um uh, the Arab uh, travelers or the Arab Bedouins or the gypsies who were wandering the desert at that time. So Prophet Muhammad, he claimed protection to the synagogue and, uh, sorry, to the monastery. And uh, this decree is still kept inside the uh, monastery over there in Sinai. Ahmed, tell me if you think Egypt will ever get back to where it was in the time of the pharaohs. In other words, top dog of the planet. We're all looking forward to this moment, <laughs> to be honest with you, Francis. Next week? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. You hear about it when you go back home. Uh, you know, I, I get uh, asked this question all the time. What happened to the Egyptians since they built the pyramids? Yeah, I don't know what happened exactly, but it takes us too long to get back. The same question uh, is asked to the Italians mm. and the Greek. You know, the Italians, what happened to the Roman Empire? Yeah. What happened to the Greek Empire for Greece? Uh, both of all three of your countries had were top of the world. Yeah. They're, you know, now... I guess this is a fact. You know, nobody stays at the top all the time. You know, you go to the top and then the curve goes down and then you come up one day. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. But when is that one day for Egypt? I agree with you. There's some cycles. Okay, so... Uh, the current status now in Egypt is... Uh, getting stable hopefully it stays like that and things are changing quickly to be honest with you the story is not folded up uh, lots and lots of things happened uh, in the last uh, seven years to be honest with you and uh, some goods some bads uh, now uh, it is stable uh, 
tourism is coming back, which is a very essential source of income for the country, and money and economy is very important. So, uh, yeah, the democracy is uh, uh, proceeding forward, I would say. Uh, we are proceeding our first step, you know, let's say we are in uh, uh, the primary school of uh, democracy <laughs> right now, uh, but we are developing, we are getting better. Uh, we just need to trust ourselves, trust our nation, and uh, move on. So, project 50 years, 100 years? You want to hear a number here. <laughs> no, um, no, I mean, like, uh, you guys got a long way to go, it seems. Look, I guess the next 10 years. You've been at it for 1,000 or 2,000 years. You're absolutely right. to get right. back to your crown here. No, from what I'm seeing here, <laughs> I hope, and I'm assuming as well, that in the next 10 years, uh, things uh, are going to be remodeled. Hopefully to the good. And uh, I trust it's gonna be to the better in the in the coming ten years. Do you think you're you're your boy? You have a son, right? Yes, I do. Nine year old son. Will Nine he, years old son. So by the age of a bit, will he have a better life than you? Uh, yes, I hope and I'm confident that this would happen. Inshallah, we'll see. Inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ahmed, we're talking about uh, children. Tell us a little bit about how your grandparents how many children they had and then your parents and then you okay so that's uh, pretty funny asking that uh, <laughs> uh, if you looked at uh, my grandparents from uh, my father's side uh, they have 10 children uh, nine brothers and one sister from my mother's side there are uh, six children three boys and three girls and um, there's a very funny story uh, that my mom uh, uh, always tell me about it uh, that uh, when uh, both of them um, got married to each other so my grandmother from my mother's side asked my grandmother from uh, my father and she asked her why 10 kids isn't that too much she said uh, I always wanted the girl knowing that she has nine boys and one girl okay <laughs> nine. nine boys and one nine. girl so she said i was always looking for the girl so my grandmother asked her but the girl came number five <laughs> what happened to the other five <laughs> and she was speechless <laughs> so it just yeah, yeah it was like that so uh, in my case i have only one sister and uh, I'm married now and I have only one boy and I'm not intending to have any other kids all right and so and but you still feel that you're an anomaly in this uh, society of Egypt where yeah actually you get pressured sometimes by family by friends uh, pitying the uh, single boy uh, and uh, worrying about his future being raised by himself and facing the future by himself and things that uh, I to I'm totally uh, against it to be honest with you you know uh, my idea is that uh, I'm not a big fan of children anyway uh, but uh, I decided to have one kid and give him all my power financial power emotional power everything I uh, could give him uh, I will give it to him that's really fascinating what you say because Ahmed I've been to 54 African countries and one thing is certain is that men universally want children now sometimes I find some women who are skeptical about having too many children but men because they don't have to do any of the work to raise the child it's, uh, they often especially in sub-saharan africa they'll have a child and then they'll disappear and then the woman has to yeah. raise him by himself so of course he's all in favor of having children having 10 20 who cares because they don't have to do sometimes 
uh, much effort. It's the mother who does the whole work. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, so what what you just said is really remarkable, <laughs> saying that you were not a big fan of having children. So yeah. please elaborate on this because uh, you I think you're the only African man <laughs> the only African man okay. I've ever met who would say something like that which is I mean I'm with you but by the way because I have no children either yeah. but uh, just curious what your logic is and how do you I don't know actually uh, maybe it's my Turkish blood I don't know <laughs> maybe they don't like kids in Turkey <laughs> but don't forget something over here in Egypt we do not only consider ourselves Africans we consider ourselves Africans Middle Easterns Mediterraneans, Arab, Arabs, of course, and a Muslim nation. So we are all that mixed up together. And of course, the Ottomans came and uh, other nations came and Greeks and Romans. So we are a mixture of all this. And that's what makes an Egyptian Egyptian. Understood. But still, uh, I mean, I haven't voyaged around to the Middle East or all the Arabic countries, but my guess is that your feeling about, you know, not being so enthusiastic about children is still a rare thing in all those cultures I'm guessing yeah but I haven't been there so I don't know all I can talk about is African culture it just yeah so I know quite a few are like me to be honest but they're not too many like uh, yeah all my friends they have at least two kids and uh, at least at least yeah like, like two to three okay two to three yeah uh, to be honest with you uh, but why personally I guess it's more of a of uh, a me thing uh, not like a concept in uh, yeah, I, I just don't like kids. Yeah. <laughs> is it just a, the is just that they are very needy and distracting? Exactly. Kind of uh, look, uh, my my idea. I love traveling in life. Okay, yeah. and um, and my wife also loves traveling. We both do that, and we does would she both, work? She actually. Oh, yeah, uh, she has yeah, the Airbnb. She has the Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, so we both love traveling, and we would spend all our money uh, in traveling. So traveling with kids in general is hard. We're gonna plug your house. So you're a super host on Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> What's the name of the house in case somebody's in Cairo and uh, wants to stay in your uh, st- studio with a rooftop terrace? Okay. <laughs> and how much is it per night? It's uh, an average of uh, forty to forty-five US dollar per night. And what do you get? Uh, you nice view. Uh, get a nice rooftop terrace. Uh, with the studio that is fully equipped with everything that you want and you need uh, for a short or a long stay actually nice yeah okay and so if you stay there for a week it's a bit of a discount yes okay. and for you we do it uh, with a big discount if Woo! you want <laughs> so if you mention if you mention the Francis Tapon yeah we'll exactly, exactly. just to mention it <laughs> okay good so basically getting back to children or so um, you think that there's going to be a continuing downward trend in the fertility rate right now we're at 2.8 children yeah. uh yeah actually female uh, the government uh are doing a tremendous effort to uh, uh raise the awareness of the people of having maximum two children and uh, the disadvantages of having bigger size families uh, in order to give them uh, proper education proper proper health care and everything else so uh, there is lots of uh um awareness uh, programs that is going viral all over Egypt. But is contraception widely available and free? Uh, Yes, it is, but not free, actually. Uh, But uh, it is available. Yeah, because if it was free, then it would really help decrease the fertility rate in a big way. so you can't get you can't go to a clinic and get condoms for free or anything like that. And I guess the, in the health clinics in the countryside uh, and the villages they would do that. Hmm. 
uh, or at least subsidized. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, because it seems to me that's that's the the big thing. But the challenge also is, uh, I guess we want to talk about another unseen side of relationships, which is sex. In other words, officially, you know, people you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. Yeah. What's the what's the reality? What percentage of women are virgins but on their day of marriage? You would never ever know something like that. And the reason for this is. Uh, it's like you said, it's a major, major uh, thing over here in Egypt. So if, there, uh, if the community and the society knew about an unmarried girl or a lady who is not virgin, this would put her in a big trouble, but I mean, not, not be, at least she would be badly pictured sure. in the community around her. So you would never know that. People would never admit this. So you do whatever surveys you want to do. You go and ask the people whatever you want to ask them. Nobody would give you a proper answer. Nobody would give you the reality. Do you know of a lot? Do you know of women who've gotten surgery to put uh, back their hymen? I've heard, I've heard, but uh, I haven't. I don't know anybody in person, but I've heard, of course. Okay. Because in Morocco, I kind of got this sense when I talk to people. It's yeah. like women are expected to be virgins, but of course men are not. Yeah. And and so, but then I say, well, if the women can never have sex and they're being vigilant, you know, people looking at them all the time, how who are who are these men having sex with? <laughs> yeah. And it turns out I met yeah. this 19-year-old guy from Mauritania, for example, and he he always had sex either with prostitutes or with divorced women. Hmm. That was their interesting. target, the target interesting. market. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. It's no, the same thing the in prob- Egypt. Like if, if a man is 17 years old or 20 years old and he wants to lose his virginity. Uh, that is uh, absolutely, uh, you know, when a man wants to lose his virginity, he wouldn't be really picky, to be honest, especially for a teenager, to be honest with you. Uh, so... Uh, in my opinion, uh, yes, unfortunately, but the they man, can't do it with other teenagers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the man, uh, of course, wants to have sex before marriage and lose his virginity. But when he gets married, the last lady he would think about her is the one that he had sex with her before marriage, without having a, an official relationship. Unfortunately, that's the mentality for uh, many people uh, around the Arab. Uh, word in general uh, so when the man uh, wants to get married he would look for a lady that uh, preferably not been married before preferably didn't have a boyfriend preferably not been touched before or had sex or even even uh, got a uh, got kissed before to that extent people get uh, selfish when men get selfish but I'm just trying to imagine who are they who are these people they're having sex with I just uh, in other words prostitutes divorce a girlfriend uh, who lost her uh, virginity with somebody else virginity with somebody else or with him personally because she thought that he's the one (laughs) and you know in the teenaging we uh, every girlfriend we meet we think that she is the one okay but what about this like for example I just met an Egyptian uh, his name is Mustafa and he just got engaged and I'm just curious like the engagement period is one one year what percentage of people during that engagement period of whether it's one year or one month or one you know whatever lose their virginity during that engagement period the society allows them to to, to look at each other you know and yes and, and to spend time with each other and by the way we're in a car <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can uh, sense that from uh, the sensors look uh, for myself I was engaged for a around a year and a half. 
mm-hmm. and uh, that would be the average of uh, most of the people around as well two years to three years maximum it depends on your financial situation as well yes a lot of people they would two or three years yes it depends on your financial situation because you're always waiting to save the money to get the apartment furnish the apartment and if the money if there's no money uh, nobody would uh, settle to uh, live in uh, less than the average uh, expected apartment or furniture or whatever so you would just wait the parents of the bride would always want to secure her future even if they cannot afford that but they still want to uh, want her to live in the best uh, flat ever or apartment or whatever and uh, they would just wait until the things gets done so and they have to buy it they can't rent it they can't rent it they can't rent it or buy it but it has to be up in a proper place and because <laughs> some people might actually rent it for let's say i can afford to rent it for six months and after that i exactly I ran out of exactly. money and we got to go course. down to the little crappy place of course and that's what a lot of people do and um the uh, so they make the parents happy for six months and yeah like, and then well, yeah. <laughs> money ran out sorry i gotta go live in the absolutely. slums again absolutely so that happens yeah that happens and uh, i guess during the engagement uh, there will uh, be a lot of exceptions Okay, when you say exception, sorry, that's when people will lose women will virginity. Lose their virginity. Yeah, that's. Would you say majority will? No, no, absolutely not. Really? Yeah, because you know so what? So they'll stay engaged for one, two, or three years and not ever have sex with their fiance. Surprisingly, and of course, you know, everything got its, its own rule and of exceptions. Yeah. But uh, surprisingly, average, that's my personal analyze here. Uh, okay is that uh, when uh, that man who always wanted to have sex before marriage and whatever when he fell in love with that lady and uh, they got engaged and he decided to take you know a serious uh, step he doesn't want to do this with her and he wants to save this moment for marriage uh, or the marriage day so uh, a lot of uh, men uh, even those who did that before marriage they still don't want to do it with their beloved one unless for some reason they realize I'm going to maybe dump her <laughs> exactly or putting this as a possibility so because he loves her so much he doesn't want to face a trouble or a problem in the future in case they didn't continue together that would be also a very uh, viral mentality so in case uh, okay they are engaged now but what if it didn't work out and they, uh, they separate and they separated so he wouldn't want to do anything with her he wouldn't want to sleep with her and uh, let her lose her virginity in case they uh, got separated because he'll shame the family not only that but uh, more about uh, caring about her and caring about her future even without him because he realizes he'll ruin her other possibilities of getting married absolutely that's what I mean okay so a man who he says okay you've been engaged before he'll still consider it but if a girl has lost her virginity that's a really bad thing absolutely I wonder why there's this obsession with virginity also I just don't understand it and it's just like what's the like for some people it's like there's some I don't know but I guess it's more like um, I wonder if like you're an Egyptologist yeah where do you have any idea whether no it has nothing to do with the ancient Egyptian no no but I'm asking did ancient Egyptians value virginity was that in any of their texts like the woman shall be pure uh, is that or is that documented no anywhere? actually no there's nothing that says that do you have any idea of the laws of promiscuity and, and like it's about religions you know the point is that if she lost virginity no. then she had sex before marriage which is completely forbidden for Islam and for other religions and it comes to that extent but it's, but it's not I don't think you can blame it on religion 100% because you know, in no religion, it's in a, all religions in the world, you're supposed to be a virgin, absolutely. including the men, by the way. 
and most Muslim men are not virgins when they get married. That's a fact. And so not I don't most. think it's really most I, I really come on. Yeah. Well, you you can say it better than I do. I don't know about Egypt, but uh, but but I think most. So I don't think it's religion because religion tells men cannot have sex before marriage. They, uh, in Christianity, uh, yeah. Judaism, all Same, religion, yeah, there's all not a religion. That's right? absolutely correct. So, so I don't think it's religion 100%. There's a, there's a, there must be no. some sort of culture. That's why I asked you about the ancient it's, Egyptians. Uh, being uh, a man that uh, wants that virgin had never been touched, which is more precious. I guess that goes back to the early Arab time, which uh, they really valued that. Uh, more so than the ancient Egyptians. Anyway. More than the ancient Egyptian. So ancient Egyptians, all the pharaohs and all It was stuff. more of the uh, tribal uh, Arab uh, culture and traditions. Because the pharaohs had many wives, for example. And pharaohs, I think exactly. the nobles, the nobles, also. No, I mean, everybody who can afford you just go buy. Uh, buy? Uh, or was it uh, you like. You could a, also buy because there are lots of harem they could buy in the market over there in the okay. ancient Egyptian time. Yes, there were lots of uh, slavery okay. in the ancient Egyptian time. But, but, but it's different when you're buying uh, you're buying a slave and then she becomes your wife? Uh, or or you could marry more than one. I mean, in Islam, you could also marry more than one now. Up to four, yeah, I know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so I guess what I'm trying to get at is were those ancient Egyptians, the pharaonic times, yeah, that kind of stuff. The, there's no mention about virginity anywhere as no, far as... because this concept does not only exist in Egypt. Mm. It exists in the Arab countries, mm. Gulf countries. Uh, and I guess this goes back to the early Arab traditions, as I said, uh, not only for Islam and religion. So you think all this comes from Arabic traditions rather than... You don't hear about it in other... Do you hear about it in uh, in India? I mean, I'm asking you now. India, I have never been to India, so I don't know. Okay. So I don't know. Uh, but you don't hear about it in Europe, let's say. You don't hear about it in... The uh, desire for a virginity. But I think, I bet you if you went to the Middle Ages in Europe, I bet you they would say, no, a good Christian woman is a virgin. Exactly. You know, so I yeah. think it's I think it's it's in the religion. It's just that they've decreased it. You know, and you ask most Europeans, they're still Christians, officially. And that's what they'll claim. And uh, But they no longer follow most Christian practices. Uh huh. You know, there are things that were considered basics, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, basics in the in the in the in the world uh, from the Middle Ages, and then these things became very common nowadays. Homosexuality. Homosexuality mm-hmm. was sure. completely normal. forbidden and a no. shame. Well, it was a normal back in Greek time. In Greek time, yeah. yeah. I'm talking about the Middle Ages. I'm okay. talking about the 18th century, 19th century. Let's not oh, sure. not even. Let's go back two centuries ago. Two centuries ago, homosexuality was. A shame. Of course, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, even not even two centuries ago, just twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It so wasn't that long ago. But things are changing around and, us. And, and, and by the way, it's still a shame. Let's be real. It's still a shame in the Middle East and in North and most of Africa. Absolutely. So, but so there are things that. But it, hold on, like, let's go back. Since you're an Egyptologist, I like to take advantage of this and the fact that. Tell me about in ancient Egypt. Was there? homosexuality uh, I, I guess it's more of a human thing as we all know uh, so I bet uh, it existed no but was there like but it was not was there art like we're showing two men with each other two women with as other? far as I know there's nothing that shows homosexuality okay. uh, but I bet Celebrating it existed it or and it sound I'm normal. confident mm-hmm. it is uh, it was forbidden in the ancient time you think so? Yeah. Which is interesting because during the uh, Greek time, the ancient Greeks, it was completely yeah. normal. I think yeah. Aristotle was bisexual. I know Alexander the Great was Yeah, was, uh, yeah there are lots of rumors that right. says that. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I think it was a pretty normal thing to be bisexual uh, back, at least... The back in the Greek time, but in right. the ancient... I mean, in the ancient Egyptian, it was not. 
it was not, and not a single scene that shows something or talks about it. But were there stella or any kind of laws written that you, you know, hieroglyphics as saying prohibiting homosexuality? No. A man shall not lie with a man, blah, blah, blah. Not that you know of. No, not, not, not that I know of. Ahmed, what do you think has gotten better or worse since the Arab Spring of 2011? Oh yeah, there are lots of course positives as well as negatives uh, before and after uh, the Arab Spring. Least to mention, um, the positives is that I guess people has uh, the courage to speak and to express their opinion freely without uh, feeling afraid uh, from uh, governments or any bureaucracy or anything. Uh, so I can say that the freedom of speech is getting better. Uh, founding of political parties is getting uh, easier and more uh, uh, liberal, I guess. The also, talking about that, some of the negatives uh, are uh, the illiteracy in, of the Egyptians in democracy and how to express their opinion in a respectful way without hurting others and by respecting other uh, opposite opinions as well. And this caused a lot of struggles and debates uh, that uh, um, is not really, uh, doesn't usually end in a nice way between uh, two uh, different opinions. Uh, that's something that that we need to learn. We need to learn how to express our opinions freely without hurting others and also with the respect of uh, the others. You know, it's funny, I saw a YouTube video that showed a combination of like, you know, it's like a montage, a collage of, of videos of like news shows where the the two people it was somewhere in the Arab world it was in a bunch of places where they started going into fist fights on television yeah. beating each yeah. other up because you insulted me so I'm going to go exactly. up there and throw this water in your face yeah. and, or yeah. beat you up on television for God's sakes so what do these and they're all there sitting in their suits and ties looking so respectable yeah in the, yeah, in the parliament or whatever yeah right. yeah, you and see that you coming see to that. blows <laughs> like are we children? Isn't that funny? And those are supposed to be the, the educated ones. The, yeah, the most sophisticated people in the in community. Yeah, funny. So uh, yeah, there are lots of. Uh, so education has it suffered? Education, I can't say that uh, there's much changing in education before or after we're still trying to progress we're still trying to develop uh, currently there's a very good minister of uh, education who is in charge now and uh, he has come up with pretty good plans I guess it would be uh, it will boom the educational system in Egypt in the coming uh, years uh, so I hope he has the time uh, to uh, implement and impose his uh, new uh, system that he is uh, presenting it to the uh, government what about women's rights Women's rights, uh, actually women uh, were the, I would say, the secret soldier behind the success of the Arab Spring and uh, what happened in the last seven years. Uh, women uh, uh, stood uh, firm and strong in the last seven years. Uh, they uh, supported very much uh, whether the Arab Spring or post-Arab Spring when uh, the Egyptians uh, revoluted against the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, the former President Morsi. Lots of uh, the liberal, moderate uh, Muslim and Christian women, they really uh, were upset from uh, the former regime and uh, the Morsi regime which was the brother Morsi regime which is 
the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, they always say that the the secret uh, behind the success of this revolution were the Egyptian women. Do you see the trajectory? Does, is there a general vibe in the country? Is there a trajectory that things are going to get better? That things have gotten better, or do you think most people think? I've been looking at some opinion polls, and it looks like the Egyptian optimism and 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 and, and uh, view of the future looks kind of bad yeah uh, unfortunately uh, you can say that uh, people are divided at uh, this to be honest with you like uh, a lot of people they are very optimistic including myself uh, about the future of the country and uh, that we just uh, you know everyone has to work himself and uh, make uh, his uh, circle around him better and uh, create a positive uh, bubble uh, around himself and his uh, uh, community and uh, there is another uh, half who are uh, pretty uh, pessimistic let's say about the future and uh, what are they complaining about are they complaining about is economic a, situation okay so but it hasn't but unemployment during the Mubarak regime toward the end of the Mubarak regime was really bad the unemployment was super high exactly so, exactly I, the problem is that people want very fast results and that wouldn't happen you know Mubarak was in the uh, regime for 30 years and before him Sadat who also had his uh, economical issues uh, that the the country suffers from uh, up till now so um, it's really hard for anyone anyone who would come now and change everything immediately and innocently this would never happen it needs a magician okay <laughs> to uh, solve the problem from the roots so how about a pharaoh a pharaoh? <laughs> no, I guess this is even exceeding the pharaoh's power. They could build pyramids, but they cannot solve the current problem. <laughs> so uh, my uh, idea, I mean, my opinion is that uh, nobody would come at, uh, at this moment now and uh, change something innocently. It needs time. And what makes me feel optimistic is that we have started, in my opinion. And things are some things are improving, others are not. Let me ask for some practical issues like traffic, uh, general respect for uh, have the are the police nicer? What is there more trash on the street? Less trash on the street? The traffic is the same. That's a serious problem that we are suffering from. Uh, by the way, we're sitting here in traffic. and we're sitting. By the way, stuck <laughs> in the traffic. Uh, however, uh, so what was the other thing you said? Uh, trash on the street. Yeah, trash rubbish. on the streets. Yeah, garbage, unfinished buildings. All these things. You know, the infrastructure needs a lot of work. Needs a lot of work. Uh, so the infrastructure needs a lot of. Uh, work and development but let me say, tell you something about um, one of the major positive uh, factors uh, nowadays mm. safety safety why but Egypt feels really safe right now I mean, right now uh, yes a lot of people I mean would disagree with me I mean outside of Egypt I mean how many capitals major capitals with 10 million people can you walk around safely at night anywhere exactly it's only in like Tokyo and a couple of other places where you can walk almost anywhere in a city in Cairo and nobody will mug you uh, assault you rape you or anything like that I mean yeah, it's it, pretty much unheard of in, 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 and this is super rare not just in Africa but anywhere on the planet yeah. for a mega city like Cairo is over 10 million people to be this level of safety let me tell you something during the revolution time during the Arab Spring uh, I remember that day on the 28th of January when the revolutionaries uh, took over the police and there was... 2011? 2011 and uh, it became chaotic at that time. This was my first time ever in my life to hear a gun 
uh, shot. My first time ever in my life. And I didn't believe my ears. I, is that really gunshots, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, things were unstable in the last few years. But look at it right now. Yes, things are stable. I mean, what we have now, we didn't have in the last three, four, five years. So uh, that's an improvement that people, uh, a security. lot of people, they do not appreciate yeah. or they do not see security. Uh, I mean, we start I mean, to a get... a woman can walk in the street at night and nobody bothers her. Exactly. I mean, uh, would I ever uh, be concerned about my wife uh, coming back uh, home at midnight? Never. Would I ever uh, be concerned about my son uh, going in a school uh, field trip uh, anywhere uh, around Egypt? Never. So uh, I always, I mean, being a tour guide, I always encourage my uh, travelers to go and walk and discover the city. And they ask me, is it safe? I said, yes, of course it is safe. No pickpockets. I mean, of course there are, you know, exceptions like in any other country, but uh, it's it is safe. It's much more rare. They ask me, I mean, go walk one, two o'clock in the morning. It is safe. Yeah. So that's one good thing. That on. is, uh, in my opinion, uh, the highlight of the positive factors that we have. But wasn't it safe under Mubarak? Pretty safe. It was pretty safe. Pretty safe. And uh, like, to be honest with you, someone like me, uh, I actually belong to a, a middle-class family, born and raised in Cairo, before the revolution time. And many people, millions of other Egyptians like me here, I didn't suffer during the time of Mubarak. I was born, he was there. Everything was pretty stable. The last thing... I had to uh, uh, be concerned of with fear because I felt very safe. I know we are in good relationship with other uh, neighboring countries, uh, with uh, the West, with everybody. So I didn't. I was. I never felt threatened or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's a bless that I had during the time of Mubarak. When the revolution came, and I was not very much convinced with the, what they call the Arab Spring. Uh, I said, okay, maybe it doesn't mean that uh, I was not affected during the time of Mubarak, that it, everything was fine. Let's go uh, with the flow. <laughs> Let's see uh, the demands of the poor people. I should uh, not be selfish and uh, let's, uh, let's watch and learn. And unfortunately, things turned backwards, not forward at all. So uh, nowadays I can tell you that, uh, yes, of course it has its positives, but uh, yeah, we were pretty stable during the time of Mubarak. Yes, economically we were struggling, but uh, yeah, if you would like to change, if you want to change, yes, you need to do something. You need to solve the problem from the roots. And that's probably what we did in 2011. And uh, the uh, book still open and the story is not folded up yet. And do you think that the power play between those who want to go back to the 17th, 7th century versus those who want to go into the 21st or, you know, what's the power play between these two? How would you say who's going to win that one? You mean like uh, religiously or? Overall, I mean, you have some people who want the Sharia law to go back into the 7th century. Uh, other people say... I mean, you always find these kind of people. and uh, No, I understand that. But in some societies, let's say in Afghanistan, yeah. they are the majority. No, not anymore. Right. And that's why the Egyptian revolution uh, revoluted again as the former regime because that's what the former regime wanted. They wanted the Sharia law. Uh, they uh, wanted to radicalize the country. And uh, You're talking about the Morsi regime. Uh, talking about Morsi time. And that's why more than 35 million people revoluted against uh, that regime uh, uh, all over the country. So that is a proof that Egyptians do not want that. They reject But at the same time, they don't want... Europe's progressivism or whatever Europe's uh, values either 
absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, they don't want their uh, women walking around in mini skirts and no, they just want moderation. You know, everything uh, is moderate. Well, right, but what's moderate for a Muslim country might be conservative for a absolutely uh, yeah. Christian and or in, in Egypt over here. Uh, you find all uh, styles and all uh, cases, uh, but you don't find girls running around in miniskirts. Fine, just you have to be in a better place. Uh, uh, no, actually, you find you find all types. You find all types, but don't so forget. I can, so I can find miniskirts in Egypt. Yes, if you come to, uh, I mean, a belly dancing. Uh, a bit. No. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, uh, the point is that. You know, like for there example, is, just like the dating scene, just the fact that men and women—it's—it's a—it's a very uh, different dating scene versus the Western world. I'm not saying anything is bad about it. I'm just saying it's different. I know what you mean. And 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 uh, it's not the same in Saudi Arabia. It's even more conservative, right? It depends which social standard you belong to. It depends. Uh, I see. So if you if you if you have a high income family. Most likely, well, not necessarily, actually. More they, Westernized, let's say. More Westernized, uh, yeah. uh, They were educated in international schools or they right. spent uh, some time outside of Egypt educating right. or whatever. So they are kind of more open and more exposed to the Western culture. Right. Uh, and, uh, like, yeah, so you find, you know, you need, you need to know who you are dealing with. So... Uh, you cannot really go and approach like the Egyptian traditional greeting is that men kiss each other from two cheeks and ladies kiss each other from the two cheeks. But men and ladies, they do not kiss each other. And that wraps up this week's episode of the WanderLearn podcast where we explore travel, technology and transformation. I'm just going to ask you for one simple favor before you go. One small favor, and that is to subscribe to this podcast share it with your friends, review it, and send me lots of money. How about that as one simple favor? Seriously, guys, if you'd like to know a little bit more about what we talked about in the show, like the show notes, links to things that we talked about, go to wanderlearn.com. If you would like to comment on the show, go to wanderlearn.com and make your comments known there. Tell me what you thought, what you liked, what you didn't like anything that you thought about the show. Second of all, if you'd like to support the show, one way to do that, you can go to wanderlearn.com slash shop, buy something at the shop. I would love it. Also, if you'd like to sponsor a show, you can send me an email at ft at francistapon.com. That's ft at francistapon.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was done by David Hamilton. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.